Jesus went out through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 disciples. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that town, that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted, 
in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth. You will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. This is the word of the Lord. You'll just have to listen. Okay, let's uh, bow in a word of prayer and then come to terms with this passage. Lord, we thank you for gathering, gathering us together today as your people. Uh, we thank you for your word uh, that guides us in life. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to respond uh, the right way to the challenges here before us. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the idea of mission can be sometimes a daunting one, can't it? Have you ever tried to invite people to an evangelistic talk? Uh, Recently, uh, for those who are are visitors, um, we've had something called the Mark Drama, a presentation of the gospel at Charles Sturt University. uh, And that was a good opportunity to uh, invite people to hear the news about Jesus and what he's done. And I, uh, I took this opportunity to uh, invite a friend along, being a, a soccer player. Uh, I'm not much of a soccer player these days, but at soccer I make a few friends and I was able to invite a friend from soccer to the Mark drama. Gave him the invite. I was polite and friendly and he wasn't interested. <laughs> there we go. He didn't want to know about it at that time. Uh, and it felt just a little bit awkward not quite like selling snake oil to somebody or something stupid like that, but it just felt like a little awkward moment trying to invite somebody to a, an evangelistic event. And I said that well, that was okay with me, uh, but I let him know that if he ever wanted to chat further about the things of God, that my door was always open. And the good news was that he still talks to me. He, it's, it's true. He hasn't, he hasn't dumped me as a friend. Well, the idea of mission can be daunting, On the one hand, uh, people like us have benefited from somebody sharing the good news of salvation with us. We've we've benefited from uh, getting right with God and enjoying life with God through that wonderful gospel message which we've received. But on the other hand, the prospect of us sharing the mission, uh, that mission message about Jesus can be challenging. Uh, We can put relationships on the line when we start to bring Jesus into the conversation. And it's because Jesus provokes a response. People can't be neutral about him. I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis who said that people have got to receive Jesus either as a liar, lunatic or Lord. And so the fact remains that only life though comes through Jesus. And so we're left with this challenge, even though it might be daunting, uh, to share the gospel message with the world. And so today in this passage, we see the beginnings of of mission, really, and the importance of being mission-minded. At this stage in Matthew's Gospel, the kingdom movement is fanning out uh, throughout all the towns of Galilee. And we get a a neat little summary of all that's gone before here in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 9, verse 35, if you're reading along. Verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Uh, Some have described this kingdom proclaiming movement a bit like the politicians out on the hustings. Jesus is out and about mixing with all kinds of people. He's raising awareness about the fact that God's reign 
is right at the door. It's begun. Now, when I'm talking about God's reign, uh, I, I talked about this last night at home, and, and Meredith wrote God's reign down and drew a little picture of a thundercloud and rain coming down. It's not that kind of rain. Uh, this is the idea of God's kingship has now arrived, and it's right at the door. And Jesus has showed the, the reality of that as he's exercised power uh, over the forces of nature, evil spirits, and he showed acts of mercy. So we see God's reign breaking in on the, the present age. And as Jesus went about through all the villages and the cities, he did exercise mercy, didn't he? And that's my first point in the sermon outline. Jesus had compassion. In verse 35, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, in the ancient Near East, the, uh, the kings were considered to be the shepherds of their people. If you think about those pictures of Tutankhamun's uh, sarcophagus, the one that's got a bit of blue on it and gold, and Tutankhamun's asleep there, apparently, well, he's probably more than asleep, but uh, he's got his arms crossed like this. And do you remember what's in his hands? A shepherd's crook, that's right, and a flail. And those are pastoral sort of imagery uh, because he was like the, the shepherd, the king and the shepherd were synonyms for leading the people. And in Israel's time, uh, God was their shepherd and the kings were supposed to be their shepherd. But sadly, the kings didn't always do a very good job of that. And so the prophet Ezekiel uh, critiques them in Ezekiel 34. Uh, he gives a word from the Lord and they're, they're told that by God that they didn't feed the sheep and with force and harshness they were ruled by their shepherds and so they were scattered because they had no shepherd. And so at that time in Ezekiel there's a forward hope that God will be the shepherd of his people. This is what it says in verse 15. God says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. It sounds like Psalm 23, doesn't it? I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I'll bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. I will feed them in justice. And so as we see uh, Jesus here in Matthew, uh, he cares for people as the good shepherd cares for the sheep. He can see that they're distressed and that they're weary. They're harassed and helpless. This implies that the people are, are probably oppressed and they're exhausted or they're, they're lacking in direction in life. And the response that Jesus has to them is in the English word we get, he has compassion. But this is where I'm going to give you a Greek word. There's not too many Greek words to bring to your attention, but this is a good one. Splanch uh, And there is no real translation into English for this word, this verb. It speaks about a warm and compassionate response to need. But it's the, it captures the idea that his heart went out to them. Uh, this is a, a gut response. It's a visceral thing that, that we're trying to uh, get a handle on here. And it describes the Jesus of the Gospels in a nutshell. He's got this real deep care for people. And this uh, strong response that he has to them doesn't just sort of rest with a feeling, though. Uh, it gets translated into action as he sends out his disciples among the people to care for them. He said to these disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. 
And so the metaphor changes now, doesn't it? Did you notice that? It changes from sheep husbandry uh, to farming, crop farming. The sheep now become a harvest waiting to be reaped. And what Jesus is saying is there's, there's a problem. Uh, it's like when I was a kid who went out to uh, Gunnedah to play some tennis and I stayed at a, a wheat farm and it was massive. There was 10,000 acres worth of wheat there. Can you imagine seeing 10,000 acres of wheat but not having any harvesters to take the head off the crop? Well, Jesus is saying there's plenty of people who would have become new recruits in the kingdom, but there's not very many harvesters. That's the problem. When he says the harvesters are few, it's, it's kind of almost an un understatement uh, because it's only been John the Baptist and Jesus who've been involved in harvesting at this time. But now the first step is to send out others and the first step there is to pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest... And so we're thinking now in agricultural terms, the, the, one, the Lord of the harvest is the farmer who's responsible for the harvesting to happen, but in this case, the harvest is people and the Lord of the harvest we know is God. He's the one who's going to be raising up workers to get this harvest happening, to bring in uh, people under the kingship of Jesus and to become members of the kingdom of God. And many of those who were listening to Jesus at that time might have been uh, invited, they were invited to pray that prayer, but they might have also been God's answer to that prayer as well. That's what we'll see in the next couple of verses. So what is our role at harvest time? Well, there's a harvest that's taking place here in the gospel story, but we see that things don't end there, do they? Uh, at the end of the gospel of Matthew, in view of the authority of Jesus over all things, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so uh, this harvesting idea continues and the church continues to grow. Uh, even in the pastoral epistles, uh, Paul reminds Timothy to guard the good deposit of the gospel and to entrust that to reliable people who will also pass it on. He says, what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so here's the idea of of passing on this responsibility to retain the gospel message and share the gospel message. It's a bit like thinking about the, um, a racetrack with runners passing a baton on. We, it doesn't just rest with that first generation of harvesting in Jesus' time. And so we can see uh, some of the responsibility, though, is to pray that there will be uh, people to go out and share the gospel. And we can also think about moments in our lives where we can... Uh, bear witness to the hope that we have as well so we can be involved in this harvest as well. Well in the next section we see that Jesus extends his authority. Jesus names the 12 apostles and this is the first time that word uh, came up. I actually noticed I don't think Jacob read the word apostle, I think he called them disciples twice. Thank you, Ben, you're nodding there, yes. So this is the first time uh, in uh, Matthew where the word apostle comes up and it's significant because it means they're, they're sent out ones. Uh, Jesus' kingdom movement is about renewing and restoring all of God's people. Uh, the 12 disciples are representative of the, of the new people of God that's now gathered around, not so much Moses, but gathered around the Messiah, Jesus. And the 12 also become 
part of the means by which God actually raises up the new people of God. And that's what we see happening in the next few verses as they head out and proclaim the good news. The intriguing thing is that it was miraculous what Jesus was doing, wasn't it? When he was raising the dead, healing people with leprosy, uh, casting out demons, all of these things are miraculous things. But what we see happening next is, is increasingly miraculous because in, a, in an amazing way, Jesus gives that authority to uh, his disciples as well, his apostles. And so this is the same kind of thing that, that he was doing. We see now he gave the 12 authority to drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and sickness, the, the same thing that Jesus was doing. And they go out and take this mission further afield than Jesus was doing alone. In verse 6, we see this idea about going to the lost sheep of Israel and it picks up that idea about God will be the shepherd. He will gather his sheep. And so the mission to the Gentiles, though, it comes a bit later on. Jesus was very clear about their role. They had to go and proclaim the message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. The time of God's kingship had arrived in the ministry of Jesus and people needed to come to submit to him as God's king, God's Messiah. Jesus gave them instructions about the mission. They had received the message freely themselves and they were to give this uh, message out freely as well. But there are some uh, directions about how they can still receive some hospitality as they take the message out as well. And yet as they take the message out, this mission goes on, the focus starts to shift now to how people will respond to this mission. The passage reminds us that the response to the mission is somewhat serious. The language about shaking dust off feet as a sign to those who won't welcome the message and, and, and having peace returned is a way of saying that they're not given God's assurance that all's well with them. In fact, the comment about judgment being more bearable on the day of Sodom uh, grows out of the fact that these people have been now confronted with Jesus and the good news that he says, and it's, it's right at their doorsteps. Uh, and if they're spurning it right at their doorsteps, that's a big problem. It reminds me of an illustration used by Billy Graham a few years ago where he talked about a person on a boat who was standing there with a, with a precious jewel in his hand. He was very happy with his jewel and he was just tossing it up and down in his hand as he stood on the boat. There he was, throwing the jewel up and catching it once again. Throwing it up, but as he did, the boat hit a bit of surf and it swashed sideways and lurched. And of course, as the jewel came down again for him to catch, it missed his hand and went, you can guess where, over the edge of the boat, down into the ocean and lost forever. Well, he had it in his hand at one time, that precious jewel, and he must have rued the decision not to keep it with both hands and instead throwing it up. And this is like the people who had the gospel preached to them in those towns. They had the good news right at their doorstep. It was right within their hands to hold on to it and enjoy the salvation that comes through trusting in Jesus. And yet they rejected it. And I think that's the logic of why it's even more bearable for Sodom because they had it right there as Jesus and his apostles came around. 
Well, the passage reminds us today about the seriousness of judgment, doesn't it? Uh, Jesus has come that we might avoid condemnation on that day and that's what we'd have apart from having a saviour because we all know deep within our hearts that we fall short of how God calls us to live. We're all well acquainted uh, with our imperfections and yet we see that the the good news, this is where the happy music starts to play now by the way, is uh, in due course Jesus comes as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep and we're enjoy, invited to enjoy the gift of forgiveness that comes by trusting in that good shepherd. But what can we, as we think about God's mission today, what can we expect from mission work as the gospel goes out? It's interesting reading about the disciples carrying out these acts of mercy and power, uh, raising the dead, healing people with leprosy and things like that. That's it's all, it's all fairly fascinating. Can we expect that kind of thing to accompany us taking the gospel out today well it's important to remember that jesus hasn't changed he's the same yesterday today and forever and god can do as he pleases when it comes to healing but we can also expect that the life in this world is still going to be uh, characterized by suffering and hardship uh, sickness and ultimately death is going to characterize this age until the kingdom comes fully at the end and so whether the gospel goes out and it is accompanied by some healings or some miracles the fact is the gospel still has to to go out um, but we can expect better things at the end of the age when the kingdom comes in their fullness well jesus now teaches us about the response to the mission a little bit more uh, we'll pick that up in verse 16 he says i'm sending you out like sheep among wolves therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves uh, jesus doesn't say now this is the time for you to go out and be like wolves go and go and eat the sheep uh, at the same time they're not told just to go out like sheep and be eaten by the wolves as well that's where he starts to talk about being as shrewd as a snake or as cunning and the idea here is probably got to do with the fact that the snakes are probably pretty good at staying alive and uh, they're pretty good at avoiding threats to their existence so maybe God's people are to be like that as they're as they're sort of the sheep become snake uh, the idea here is to be as innocent or as gentle as a dove now the dove is quite a nice creature of being a vegetarian it's always going to be the prey not the predator and so god's people are to be avoiding um, trouble like shrewd like the snake but also uh, innocent and gentle like the dove the words that follow uh, reflect some serious responses to christian as well being brought before councils and synagogues uh, shows that the the reaction uh, from the world is going to be one of hostility to God's people. Jesus is probably projecting forward at this point, not not talking just about their current situation, because going forward that was the sort of thing that seemed to characterise their their I guess place with the world, um, and not necessarily being brought before governors straight on that mission at the time. The next words were encouraging about being anxious when they were brought before governors 
and they were told at that time you'll be given what to say for it will not be you speaking but the spirit of your father speaking through you and so this is a reminder that the holy spirit will will be working through them as they bear witness and they'll remember the things to say from jesus as well this is not uh, supposed to be a recommendation for lazy preachers just to stand up here and think that they'll give the words to say uh, it's important to teach what's in the word uh, but these people when they were brought before the governors they didn't have to be anxious the spirit would give them the right words to say well jesus certainly polarizes people and we see that from verse 21 don't we brother will be betray brother to death and a father his child children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death and so from these verses we're reminded that following jesus comes at a a big cost doesn't it uh, families can be divided even as we seek to have our full allegiance devoted to jesus the sort of things that are mentioned here we see uh, come up in the acts of the apostles as the people of god were persecuted and then spread out and continue to spread the gospel and persecution still happens today doesn't it uh, a few years ago i went to indonesia on a trip with one of our the presbyterian church's famous missionaries a guy called robert ben he um, helped build the church in central sulawesi and he took a trip back for us to meet the church there and encourage some of those people and at that time he had a gentleman who came and spoke to us about some of the ex persecution he and his friends had experienced this particular guy had had been given a hard time for being a christian but sadly some of his friends had even died because they bore witness to jesus and so the sort of things that are being spoken to about in this passage today are current even even today in parts of the world people um, pay with their lives for being a christian our experience of persecution is uh, not as catastrophic as that kind uh, but there are still subtle ways, aren't there, that Christians find themselves being persecuted. Uh, in some circumstances, we could have our opinions dismissed. We might find ourselves being a bit marginalised in some social settings because we're Christians. And sometimes the Christian worldview is just written off as rubbish. Even for schools, school students uh, faced with a secular curriculum, it can be hard to maintain a Christian opinion in some classes as well. And so the kind of experience of persecution that we might find doesn't sound as heavy duty in our society, but there still are uh, ways that we can be experiencing some persecution if we're uh, seeking to faithfully serve the Lord. In verse 22, Jesus says, You'll be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And so we're reminded that opposition will come from all kinds of people and yet the challenge is to make it to the end isn't it to remain faithful to to god as he works within us through his spirit so that we enjoy salvation at the end that's really the definition of a christian isn't it it's not somebody who's just been saved in the past and saved now there's a forward-looking uh, approach to salvation and so we look forward to salvation coming as well well, Jesus doesn't just say, go and, go and suffer persecution. He does in, encourage his people to avoid it as well. In verse 23, he says, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you that 
You will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And so they don't have to just take persecution for its own sake. They're encouraged to, to dodge it where possible. And Jesus introduces this idea about the Son of Man coming at this point too. It sounds like he's saying that the, the, the message of the gospel will continue to go throughout Israel, um, but there'll still be people to hear the message uh, right when Jesus gets risen from the dead and ascends into heaven. That, that could be what he has in mind about this Son of Man coming, and it's probably a reference to Daniel 7 where one like a Son of Man approaches God and is vindicated and receives kingship. Well, persecution has a double-sided nature, doesn't it? Um, it's not something that's good in and of itself. Uh, I don't like pain. I'm sure you don't. Well, pain is not a good thing, especially mine. Uh, but the other side of it is uh, the fact that it can be a sign that if we're persecuted, um, people recognise we might be living a godly life in Christ Jesus. And so... If we're experiencing some form of persecution, that's, that could be a sign of life. Um, so even though persecution's not good, it's good to think that at least we might be uh, trying to be effective gospel witnesses for the Lord. It's God's will that salvation goes out into the world and he's called us to be sheep among wolves. Uh, the fact is we've enjoyed being saved. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We've, we've benefited from that. And the challenge for us is to be among those who, who pray for others to go out with the message of salvation and for us to think carefully about uh, how we can bear witness to Jesus as well, how we can get involved in that mission as well. We've seen this morning that uh, God's mission is important, that through Jesus, that's the only way people enjoy life with God and so we've benefited, the challenge rests with us also to think about how we can continue to be involved in this mission. Well, let us pray and ask God to help us and, and for God to raise up other people as well. Let us pray. Lord, we do give you thanks for Jesus and we thank you for the compassion that he had on people. Uh, we give you thanks that he called them to repent and turn back to you and exercise faith in him. Lord, we give you thanks that he came and laid down his life as the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. We thank you that he, we benefit uh, from his sacrifice for us and that we can enjoy your forgiveness and life with you. Lord, we pray that other people would be raised up to go out and share the gospel message and we thank you for those who've, um, who've, who have gifts and abilities to do that, that kind of thing. And Lord, we also do pray for our responsibility to uh, give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ. Help us to be careful with the way that we explain the message and that we bear witness uh, to Jesus faithfully. And Lord, we just pray that you'd help us also uh, to, to be brave in that and courageous as we seek to live in the world that you've placed us, but help us not to become of the world. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this day that we can be encouraged from your word and remember again the, the importance of your mission and we just pray that as we um we're involved in that you'd, you'd strengthen us help us to be among those who continue to exercise faith in jesus despite 
the responses of hostility from the world. Help us to make it to the end as your people, uh, firm in the faith in Christ. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.